So in John 16, 5, 10, 17, 28, and 30, in all those verses, the word exercomai, which is to come out of or come forth from the Father, is presented. And now in John 17, 5, here's what Jesus says, that as He's returning to the glory of the Father, He says, and now my Father, and now, O Father, glorify Me together with Yourself, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. This is, this is so important. I understand that we are plowing into very deep places and I understand the difficulty of just letting your spirit listen. You know, I never saw this portion of John 17.5 before. Uh, much, I, I read John 17.5 many, many times, but I never saw, and now, O Father, glorify Me together with Yourself. In other words, when you're glorifying Me in this way, you're glorifying Yourself. And the picture in the Greek is, clothe, clothe Me with Yourself. Let Me be clothed upon by You with the glory which I had with You before the world was. That's the pre-creation glory. That's the pre-creation glory and it explains why God even created heaven, put the throne of God there, put His representation, the representation of Himself upon the throne, which representation is able to call Himself the Almighty, which representation is able to call Himself the Everlasting Father, because it's representational, it's the divine intentionality that is being revealed in creation. He established the heavens and He established the earth so He could come into heaven and come into earth, but the only way He could do it is by representation. Where would you put God in creation? What realm of creation would be able to contain Him? Look back at Genesis 1 for a moment. Let, let, let's see how big God is. Revelation, uh, Genesis chapter 1 begins this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I've touched that already, I just want to point out. Before God created it, it did not exist. And what was it that God created? 
Number one, the heavens. He's not talking just about the visible heavens. If he were, he would say heaven. But the heavens, there are at least three of them, plural. He created the heavens and the earth. What existed before the heavens and the earth were created? God. So I shouldn't have asked the question, what? I should have asked the question, who? But that would have predisposed your answer. So I asked the question the way you might, you might think about it. The earth was without form. You know what that means? It hadn't been formed yet. And it was void. It was empty. So something that hadn't been formed yet, that's empty, exists only in thought. But who would have, who could think of it? Well, the one who's about to create it, to bring it out of himself. But look, the earth was without form and void. Now what was? Here are the things that were. The earth was not. Right? The earth, it, the form in which it existed was formless. So we may aptly say it did not exist in terms of any form. And it was void. It didn't have trees and mountains and anything in it. So it existed without form and it had nothing in it. But what did exist? Darkness was on the surface of the deep. So the deep existed. And since this is not day and night, darkness cannot be referred to in terms of anything physical. So it has to mean that darkness was the lack of revelation. So darkness covered not the deep, but the face of the deep, like a tablecloth on a table. The table exists in all its reality, but it's not revealed. So the face of God, the face of the deep, had not been revealed. Creation would reveal the appearance of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God. And so the deep existed. And the darkness could not be said to be an existent form of any kind, merely that uh, the, the lack of revelation existed at the time, but that's not a thing, or the, not, not an entity. But the deep was an entity. And what else? The Spirit of God is an entity. And what else? The Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, the waters. So three things existed, or three entities are observable. The deep, the Spirit of God, 
and the face of uh, and the waters. The Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. So the waters existed. Now, where would the waters exist? Because you see, in our foolish minds, we automatically go to the oceans and we see water as physical. But the form, the existent form known as water, has not yet been defined by creation. It exists as it is. This is the I am that I am, who may take on whatever manifestation he would choose. Now, where would the waters exist? Are they parallel to the deep? If so, then the deep is not all-encompassing. No, the waters exist in the deep, and the deep is all-encompassing, because it's out of the deep that creation will come, or it is up from the deep when the uncovering of of the face of the deep takes place. Creation will come and it will come as a reflection of what is in the deep. More than what is in the deep, who is the deep? Because creation speaks of the characteristics of the Creator. So three exist, the deep, the Spirit of God, and the waters. You note immediately that there is an absolutely um, correlated relationship between the Spirit of God and the waters. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Spirit of God is pictured in relationship to the waters. Now, if, if perchance you'd allow me to skip forward to an understanding that this that is called the waters here is the pre-existent uh, description of Christ, then there will be an observable relationship between Christ and the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit, you see, is sent to reveal Christ. And while the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth, the Spirit authenticated Him when the Father spoke out of heaven and released the Spirit visually in the form of a dove who came down as the anointing of authority upon the Son, who is now the incarnate Word. And the Father remains hidden except for His voice. God is not seen in creation. No one has at any time ever seen God. And that's because 
He holds everything in himself. How would he come out of himself into some aspect of creation except through some form of incarnation? But when he does, and because he has, that form of incarnation is thoroughly him. He doesn't need to come in any rival form. In fact, he cannot come in any other form except by his incarnation. So what was the... let me, let me, let me develop water for just a moment longer. And then I want to come back to what was the glory that Jesus had with the Father before the creation of the world. That's what brought us back here to Genesis because that's what exists before the creation of the world. It's after this that God says, let there be light, let there be illumination, my face will be unveiled in creation. So let me unpack this a little bit further. You will note going forward in Genesis that on the second day God said, this is verse 6, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. This is while the waters are still the waters. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. Hmm? And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So. God put some waters in heaven and God put some waters under the firmament and later He would cause the earth to come up out of the water. There will be water under the earth but the earth emerges out of the water. God said, let the dry land appear out of the water. God called the dry, God said, that's the next verse, let the dry land appear. Let me read the whole verse, verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. So starting with waters above the firmament, which will mean one thing and there will be waters under the earth because heaven is a spiritual realm because it better accommodates the transfer of things from God who is outside of anything in creation into creation. Heaven is deliberately created as a spiritual spiritual place because that affords the greater, easier, more complete transmission of that which is outside of creation, which namely God, the deep, who remains the totality of everything, in whom is everything. 
So he's, he's not absent and heaven and earth are not free floating entities, or, uh, realms of creation, they exist in God. So God is omnipresent, God is always present in creation, but not in a visible way because He holds it all in Himself. So in creation, He is visible only in the ways He chooses to come, shaped and formed by the requirements of creation. So in the earth it would be in a human form, in heaven it would be the one who sits on the throne as the personification of the authority of God and the right to rule over all creation. But but the power behind it all is the deep. That is why it is in Him. Everything moves. Heaven and earth may pass away, but what He holds together cannot pass away because it's held together by the integrity of His being. And since He is the Eternal One, the One from age to age, the One beyond all the ages, when and how is He going to pass away? And when and how is He going to be irrelevant? All creation is meant for to show the unveiling of the nature of the deep. And I'll come back to that in just a second. So he, he requires the dry land to come up out of the water. Here's where it says it. Let the, earth, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters He called seas and God saw that it was good. Listen, in creation, anytime God tells you something has come up out of the water, it means it refers it back to the understanding of waters before the creation of the world. What do you mean by that? Well, it was when Jesus had come up out of the water at the baptism of John that the Holy Spirit descended on Him in the form of a dove and God's Father spoke out of the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son. Because the water, you see, is the Word. It's the unchanging nature of God. That's why He speaks creation, holds it together by His Word. It represents the irrefutable nature of God, the triumph of the nature of God, the certainty of God, the permanence of God. So whenever he comes, whenever something comes up out of the water, when the reference in Scripture to something coming up out of the water, it means God already foresaw it. And in some instances, the thing that is coming up out of the water is designed to be sustained by the promise that originated uh, the, 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 that initiated rather the progression by which the thing finally emerges as was foreknown by God. Therefore we see a man, and it says, calls him a man, not an angel, a man standing above the waters in Daniel 10. This is the man of promise. This is the man concerning whom heaven and earth were established for the purpose of both receiving Him 
and supporting him. So now, here's a, an interesting question. How are we to understand that portion of water representing the, what we would come to know as the incarnate person of God, the Son? How does that portion of water manifest in heaven? Because heaven is not, it's a spiritual place, so food and drink and um, seas and oceans and, and all of that, and not part of the heavenly landscape. Well, of course. That's why there's a prevalence of scrolls in heaven, scrolls, hidden mysteries, the Word of God hidden in scrolls. And every time something is about to come out of heaven or something returns to heaven from the earth, it is, its presence is associated with a scroll. A scroll is word. The Lamb's book of life is a scroll. And we are, we are established forever in God. Our names are written on a scroll. And no one, no one can pluck us out of his hand because we are guaranteed by His Word. That's why there's such a reference in heaven to scrolls and to the Word of God, uh, because the water in heaven is the Word. So when Jesus comes from God into heaven first, that's according to the promise of God, because before God created the heavens and the earth, what did God do by way of word. Why were the heavens and the earth created? They were created to host, they were created to host the oaths of God. God swore on oath to Himself and made Abraham the beneficial heir of that which was promised. And God did this, God did this, swore on oath, word. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, by two immutable things, the oath, the word, and the promise that arose out of the word, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, See, the Word of God reveals the character of God, His absolute righteousness. The secret to the righteousness of God is the strength behind His Word. So when God did this, when God entered into oath before, before the foundations of the earth, and it actually explains now why the earth is being created. God did this by two immutable principles in which it is impossible for God to lie. 
we who flee to take hope of this hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged and we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, a reference to the presence of God Himself, where Jesus who went on our behalf has become the High Priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So what then is the structure of water in heaven? Whatever form word takes, whether scrolls, oaths, covenants, heaven accommodates all of that and the symbolisms that go with the word of God, the promises of God and the like. And on the earth, those things come forward and they're manifested in actual physical forms, like a tabernacle, like the Ark of the Covenant that contains a pot of manna, that contains the uh, two tablets of stone, that contains the book of the law, that contains Aaron's rod that budded. These are symbols of the Word of God in heaven. The other example of the man who comes up out of the water I mentioned is the man above the waters in Daniel 10. And he's clothed in the same way that Jesus is clothed. All you need to do is reference the prior teachings that I have done, his body is of beryl, the six manifestations of beryl, I went through that the last time, and of course that references the number of man. So just like the, the, the multitude in heaven uh, who say, or the 24 elders and the four, the four living creatures, they say, you redeemed us from every tribe, tongue, language and nation. Six is the number of man. So the variation uh, within the body of Christ is aptly described by the mineral beryl and we've talked about that before. Now, with this understanding then, let us come to what we see in heaven. When Jesus returns to the glory He had with the Father before the foundations of the earth, He's put back into the position He was with the Father, namely the Word, before the foundations of the earth. And as He's revealed once again in heaven, because He used to be in heaven, He came out of heaven, He returned to God and He's now being revealed again in heaven. And He's being revealed in heaven as the ever-living God, that's why He carries the titles. But with the Lord Jesus Christ, when He comes up out of the earth, He comes back as the Lamb that looked as if it had been slain. It is in that component of being that we are first received into Christ, that we are first received into God. As As we're received into God, we become a member of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ then is presented before Christ and according to the prophecy of Daniel, He sits 
the, the, the pre-existent Christ meets with the obedient Christ and he sits, the pre-existent Christ sits in the role of the everlasting Father who has glory, dominion and every and all authority and power and he literally clothes the Christ who has come bearing us in him. He clothes him with the authority God gave him, the Father gave the Christ in creation to represent him in the earth and he clothes us with the righteousness of God so that we might now become the present substitute for who Jesus is. I'll pick up there for the final message in this series.